Deal or no deal? Is it a problem that Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and Charles Leno Jr. didn't show up for the first day of OTAs? That and more on today's episode of Locked On Commanders. Your daily podcast on the Washington Commanders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Welcome into this Wednesday episode of the Locked On Commanders podcast, your daily podcast covering the Washington Commanders, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much for making Locked On Commanders your first listen of the day every day. And don't forget, you can subscribe for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And you can continue the conversation over on subtext at joinsubtext.com slash locked on commanders. We can go one-on-one with me because I am your host, David Harrison, D Harrison 82 on Twitter, credential member of the media and Washington commanders beat reporter for commander country sports illustrated's fan nation site covering the commanders here with you every Monday through Friday, along with our everydayers. And as always, I appreciate your continued support for this program on today's episode of locked on commanders. We're going to discuss the beginning of OTAs with some no shows to talk about. And we'll dive into the latest on the new ownership situation and the future of head coach Ron Rivera. We're doing all that with Sam Fortier of the Washington post. So let's bring him into the show. Join now on locked on commanders by Sam Fortier at Sam Four TR commanders beat reporter for the Washington post. Sam greatly appreciate you joining us here on today's program. Of course, this week, the biggest functional thing happening right around the Washington Commanders is OTAs. And on the first day of practice, we aren't there. But fortunately, there are some people there who could confirm, at least to John Kime of ESPN, who tweeted out that he was able to confirm Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Charles Leno Jr. not present on the first day of practice. Again, not open to the media. Uh, expectations for OTAs are always a little bit weird. To you, big deal, not a big deal. Well, I mean, I would go back to what I said when Chase Young wasn't there, at least in regards to him in 2021. Not a big deal if he balls out. A very big deal if it impacts his performance come September when the season starts. I think you saw Jack Del Rio was not pleased in 2021. I think it limited them to not have Montez Sweat and and to not have Chase Young there during installs. But um, if they can rebound, if he can get back into shape, you know, playing because he looked uncomfortable at the end of last year. Remember when he he came back for those few games? Um, so at least in regards to Chase Young, it's not a big deal if he comes back and plays well. Uh, with Charles Leno, I would say it's even less of a deal because that's a guy who, after 10 years in the league, you expect him to know what he needs to do. Um, and so, you know, it's going to be player dependent. It's going to be uh, all determined by what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'm, I'm right on the same page with you. And that's kind of how these things always work. I, mean, I go back to uh, last season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My listeners know I cover both teams and, Tom Brady took an 11 day absence from training camp. And at the time it was, he's the goat. He's the legend. It's not a big deal. Well, midway through the season when the Buccaneers weren't doing so hot, it was, well, maybe he needed those 11 days uh, of practice. So that's, that's pretty much how it's going to turn out. I think Montez sweat uh, with the contract situation kind of stands out a little bit more than chase young, obviously with everything he's gone on. But I think, I think we're on the same page here. And I think most people are, are kind of on that same page uh, as well, but let's talk about expectations for OTAs. Um, I did an episode of Locked On Commanders, had a listener ask specifically, like, kind of what are OTAs? What do I expect to see and how much weight do I put on it? So I'm curious for your answer. I gave my answer, but how much weight do you put, especially the first OTA practice uh, that we get to see? How much should be put into what we see and observe and report from this first OTA practice? And how much are you looking for from these guys? I'm not going to read too much into if Terry McLaurin has a drop 
or if, you know, Sam Howell has a couple off target throws uh, or if they're adjusting to being on the field with a new offensive scheme. I think the offense in general lags behind the defense. And so especially with a new scheme, especially with a new coordinator. um, So you're going to see, I think, them kind of trying to figure it out. The thing that I will read into is the split of reps, particularly a quarterback between Jacoby Brissett and Sam Howell. Uh, I would expect to see Sam Howell get a few more. I wouldn't be surprised if they went 50-50 or if you know Sam Howell got 70-30 today and, and Jacoby Brissett got 70-30 tomorrow or things like that. I would be surprised if they if, if on the day the media was there, they, they didn't give Sam Howell most of the reps. But, I mean, this is the sort of thing where um, Quan Martin, the defensive back uh, they drafted in the second round at Illinois, where does he line up and, and how many snaps does he get? What does that defensive back room look like? Because you know Emmanuel Forbes is going to start outside. That's what he did in college. But, okay, who starts opposite him? Benjamin St. Juice, Kendall Fuller. Do you actually not start Emmanuel Forbes at first because you got to make him earn that job? I mean, those are all the things that I'm looking for in terms of reps rather than, like, the crispness of the reps because, again, it's going to be late May. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that you you hit the nail right on the head. That's it's more or less kind of what I said as well. But for those veteran players, like you said, like if Terry McLaurin has a drop, you're not going to say, oh, Terry McLaurin's a bust. Don't draft him in your fantasy leagues, all those crazy things. But what do you want to see from these veterans on their day, coming on their on their first time coming back this offseason? Yeah, I think you always just want to see them, you know, make sure that they're in shape, making sure that they're recovered from any injuries that they have. Uh, you want to make sure that they're locked in. And particularly this year on the offense, are they understanding and processing that scheme that they need? You know, uh, is, is, you know, Jahan Dotson's not a veteran, but like Jahan Dotson or some of the other receivers like Logan Thomas, maybe, are they understanding, okay, you know, this is the pass pattern that I need to go to if the verbiage changes, you know, am I getting, um, am I getting off the line on time with this cadence? I mean, how are we adjusting to Sam Howell? And, and I think, you know, it's a really important point to me, I was listening to um, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks on, on their Move the Six podcast, which I think is a really good one. And they were saying um, that it's important, particularly for young quarterbacks, to have veteran receivers who are always getting to their depth, always hitting their landmarks on their routes. And so, you know, I think that that is going to be a really important part of Sam Howell's development is having those guys who should be able to reliably run their routes crisply and accurately. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. Yeah, DJ and Bucky are two of my favorites uh, as well. That hour and some change drive to Ashburn, that's usually how I fill that time. So uh, I'm, I'm right on the same page with you. Um, speaking of John Dotson, though, that's, uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him because that's kind of a question I had here. We've obviously got some very young pieces of this offense that, that Sam Howell is going to have to rely on. But Jahan, I've kind of made the assertion that if, if he didn't miss those games with that hamstring injury, uh, obviously he gets that time back, but then also doesn't have kind of that three-game ramp up that we saw when he did return to the field. I think I contend that he could have been in the final running for Offensive Rookie of the Year, if not maybe even winning that thing, uh, given the pace that he was on. Do you think that, you know, typically you want the veterans. You mentioned Logan Terry, obviously, is, is a big star on this team. Do you think that Jahan maybe could be a little bit more advanced than your average second-year receiver in helping his young quarterback get off to a good start? Yeah, and I think it's sort of because of the things that we talked about, right? Like, Jahan's strength is his route running. He is crisp. He he hits his spots every time. And I think that's one of the reasons why the staff liked him so much last year, because they knew our offense needs to take a step forward. And, you know, one of the, the quickest ways to do that is draft guys like they've done the last couple of years playing in the Big Ten of the SEC, having a ton of reps and snaps in college. You know what you're going to get. And, and the, the route running was one of their biggest pluses. Uh Former receivers coach Drew Terrell once told me that he went through his tape looking for mistakes with his route running and he couldn't find any. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a really big point of praise for, for that guy. So, 
you know, he might not be the fastest guy. He might not have, you know, the biggest catch radius, though he does have a very good one for his size. Like, that's his number one strength. And I think that really tailors well with Sam Howell, particularly when you're on some timing routes and you have to say, okay, I need to trust this guy's going to be where he needs to be. Sam is going to weigh in on the commander's NFL draft class, his favorites, surprises, and what it means for the future of the team. That's coming up next on today's episode of Locked On Commanders, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Commanders is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. After sweeping the Los Angeles Lakers, the Denver Nuggets are Western Conference champions for the first time in franchise history. And as of Tuesday afternoon, they are minus 270 odds to win it all. Place a $270 bet on the Nuggets to win the NBA Finals, and you'll make $100 when and if they make you look smart. No matter what you bet, no matter what you want to bet on, there's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than with America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thanks again for being a locked on. Commanders, your first listen or view today and every day, every day. Or come back tomorrow. I'll have my notes for you from the second day of OTA practice, first day open to the media. But for now, let's get back to my conversation with Washington Post's own Sam Fortier. Sam Fortier, Commander's beat reporter for the Washington Post, joining us here on Locked On Commanders today. Find him on Twitter at Sam4TR. And, and Sam, you mentioned Jahan Dotson playing maybe a little bit bigger than his size. We're going to give you from a, from a catch radius standpoint. Well, Emmanuel Forbes has all the catch radius, I think, that you could probably ask for in a prospect, especially as a defensive back. But do you? how concerned are you? This was the big storyline, obviously. It's going to continue to be. Um, how concerned are you about that size deficiency, that perceived size deficiency, uh, and, and his ability to transition to the NFL? Um, um, there's two components to this. One, yes, it was it was the biggest question mark uh, at the draft. But it, it had to be. No. The dude was 6'1", 166 pounds. And like, let, let's be clear here. There is almost zero precedent for a guy like that coming into the NFL and and, and succeeding and, and holding up. Right. And, and that's not to say that there were a bunch of guys who were injured, but like, According to True Media, which is the, the site that, you know, I love and everybody makes fun of me for loving. That's fine. Uh, like there was one defensive back drafted since 2000 that was lighter than Emmanuel Forbes, a guy named Lamont Brightful in Miami in the early 2000s. And and so I totally get what Martin and Ron said. I totally agree. He played in the SEC. He didn't miss any games. That is a huge check the box. Like durability has not been a concern so far. But whenever you project, hey, is this guy going to be – you know, is he going to succeed in the NFL? Even if he is 173 pounds, even if they list him higher than what his weight is, when you look at the guy, he is incredibly thin. And like, no matter what the past is, you will always worry about the future in terms of his durability. Maybe he proves that it's not a concern. And, and I hope that he does for his sake and, and is healthy. Yeah. But like, as an objective fan of the team, you can talk about it and, and people can say, oh, you know, I'm tired of hearing about that. He didn't miss any games. The SEC, he knows how to take care of himself. That's all true. But when you look at that body type and you look at the, massive amount of historical data that we have for which players succeed and, and, and hold up in the NFL, you will always be concerned about that. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, and I think it's fair. You know what I mean? It's it's a legitimate uh, concern. And when you see him in person uh, on the on the practice field, like it it stands out. You know what I mean? It's it's something that you notice. Uh, and I think you know, kind of what you mentioned. Like, hopefully for his case, it's not a concern. It's not a problem. And I think that's the important thing to remember. Like while we're all talking about this, it's not that we're hoping. Like nobody is hoping it happens. We can say, "Ha, see, we were we were right and they were wrong." Like that's not how this is this is going to work. We're all hoping that uh, it's not a concern down the road, but acknowledging that it could certainly be uh, be one now in the rookie camp, though. Um, obviously, very little contact, very little physicality to that. But he did show off some of the football IQ, some of the ball skills, uh, reading a pass, reading a route, breaking on it very, very well, and getting an interception. Is that something that you want to see? increased almost like they've had some weeks now of instruction and he's had some coaching from, from the coaching staff. Do you expect to see that increased in the first week of OTAs or is that too high of a bar to expect him to clear even at this, at this point? No, I, I think that that's reasonable to expect because those are things that you would expect, you know, a football player with instincts, right? Like the reason that they bet on such an outlier body type is because he has the natural instincts, the, the ball skills, some of the yeah. ability that they gave him those 14 picks in college. So I would expect to see that translate right away. And I think one of the things, obviously they got burned with William Jackson because he was not scheme diverse, right? Like he needed to be a right. press man corner. Emmanuel Forbes does not. He played in a ton of different schemes uh, at Mississippi State. They ran, you know, they ran zone, they ran man, they but they ran a bunch of different types of each. Um, if you look at the breakdown of, of the coverage plays that he was in, like incredibly diverse. Um, and so you shouldn't have a t- you shouldn't have a huge uh, learning curve to get him where you need to go. Obviously, there are going to be nuances of the way that you run it, and there's going to be nuances of the way that you play off Cam Curl or Derek Forrest or Quan Martin or whoever's in the backfield there uh, and whoever's in the nickel. But to me, reading routes, if you have him in a man situation, all of his skills should be easily transferable. Yeah, absolutely. Now, something that not always transferable to these early practices with no pads, not a lot of contact is unfortunately it's trench play, right? But we've got third, fourth and fifth round picks playing in the trenches. Center Ricky Schromberg, guard Brain Daniels. Uh, I suppose offensive lineman Brain Daniels is probably the best way to put it until we have that solidified. But and then edge rusher KJ Henry. What can you take away from these OTAs, these these lesser physical types of practices when you really can't see these guys put the full full strength and full uh, move set on each other? It's sort of like quarterback. I think that where they line up and how often they line up there will be the most informative thing, uh, particularly with Ricky Stromberg, because we asked, you know, I think that as soon as they cut chase, really, I think, oh, okay, like he's going to compete with Nick Gates at center. Um, And I still think he'll do that. But Ron Rivera sort of on on that last day hinted like Ricky Strom, you know, Nick Gates will not play guard is is basically kind of what he intimated. And so to me, it's like, okay, is Ricky Stromberg now in contention to be the left guard? And and the same thing with Braden Daniels. Yes, he is a guard a guard tackle flexible guy. Uh, but Ron Rivera said that he will start with the tackles. And I know that, you know, I think there's some debate about whether that's really his best position. Um, but I think that like, that's how they are viewing him, at least what Ron Rivera said, which is, which is the last best piece of information that we have to go off of. So now when we see them on the field, are we going to see Brandon Daniels, you know, on the second team at right tackle or left tackle? Are we going to see Ricky Stromberg at center or guard? How do those guys fit into this broader puzzle? Because obviously you know, they had three problems last year on offense, <laughs> quarterback, offensive coordinator and offensive line. They've made changes at both of the first two. Have they done yeah. enough at the third? 
Yeah, that's that's definitely a big question and, and, and something that we're definitely going to be looking forward to. Some of my listeners uh, don't like the fact that I, I'm just I'm stubborn, Sam. So I just refuse to call Brain Daniels a tackle until I see it long term. I just he's a guard, man. Like this dude is a guard. So anyway, but that's that's my stubbornness coming through uh, in my coverage. So, hey, you know, I, nobody's perfect. Right. But let's go <laughs> back to draft night. A lot of surprises happen, obviously, when Christian Gonzalez is still sitting uh, in the green room. I can't remember if he's actually in the green room or not, but for pick number 16, uh, that's pretty much, I think a lot of us almost maybe even had tweets kind of loaded, like Christian Gonzalez is the pick and then it's Emmanuel Forbes. So that was a big surprise, but you know, we move on. What can Emmanuel Forbes do for this team and all those things? But was that your favorite pick or was there a different pick that really stood out from this class to you? I mean, I really like Quan Martin because I think yeah. that he brings the versatility. I think he's, you know, not younger Bobby McCain. Cause I think Quan Martin has a little bit more, um, upside, uh, but I think that like what he is going to allow Jack Del Rio to do is fascinating. And, and yeah, I think Emmanuel Forbes, if you're talking about how does this player impact the defense right away, how can he make them take a step forward in year one? Like Emmanuel Forbes is that guy, I think unquestionably, right. but how they use Quan Martin as a chess piece will be fascinating to me as well. Particularly, you know, if, if they go with the Cinco package, you know, five down defensive linemen and one linebacker who presumably would be Javon Davis, but maybe it's Cody Barton. We'll see. Um, okay. I think, you know, how do they deploy those defensive backs? I mean, are we talking about Kendall Fuller in the slot? Are they moving BSJ to the slot? How are those guys interplaying with everyone else? Like, uh, there's a lot of really interesting questions to ask about this defense, which I think this defense, you know, I've been burned by saying this in the past in, in May 2021 and May 2022 probably, but I think this defense could be really good. Um, yeah. And that's exciting. I think if this team if this team is really going to hit its ceiling, it's probably because Sam Howell – is a very solid quarterback who can do some things, but you're going to win because of your defense. Um, yeah. And that, and, and, you know, that's no disrespect to Eric Bieniemy, uh, But I think that, you know, with what we've seen from this offense the last three years, being a solidly competent unit would be a massive improvement. Um, and so I still think the deal, the defense will determine this, this team ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. No, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I, I, I lean towards, Defensive coordinators like Todd Bowles, and he's a head coach now, but when he was a defense coordinator, because, and this is a Todd Bowles uh, methodology, he likes to use his defense in an offensive manner. He tries to force opposing offenses to do things by the way he's using his defense. And I think that's a, that's a really fascinating way to look at it. And exactly like you said, I look at this roster and this defense, and I just look at Jack Del Rio, and I just, I can't imagine if you're Jack Del Rio, you're not just through the roof excited about all the different things you could do week in, week out, uh, depending on the matchups. Is there something to read in, right? We talk about Chase Young, the fifth-year option, Montez Sweat's contract situation, uh, two edge rushers drafted by the commanders, but fifth and seventh round picks. So, you know, if it's if it's a second round pick or a first round pick, especially, then I think there's a clear message. But is there still a message, whether it's edge rusher or a different position group, in your mind in this draft class for the future? Or is this all kind of looking to fill holes today? The up until the fifth round, I would say that it was to fill holes today. It was targeting a lot of guys that we talked about, guys with extensive college experience who you feel really good about as prospects. Like there was no Jamin Davis, Benjamin St. Juice, Antonio Gibson, hadn't played a ton in college, is a lot of projection. Like all of these dudes played at least like 2,000 snaps in college. You know, Ricky Stromberg, I want to say, was at 3,000 snaps. Like these are prospects you feel incredibly comfortable with their skill set and knowing, you know, every every coach hates uncertainty. Like they, they want to know exactly what they're getting. And I think that's what you got. Uh, in the fifth and seventh rounds, when you take edge rushers, to me, that's sort of a, a roster building insurance policy uh, because you need young edge rushers, uh, you know, under contract because that's, it's, you know, 
arguably the second most important position behind quarterback. And when you have every single edge rusher that you had coming up off your contract, especially because Shaka Tony gets suspended, but I mean, Casey Tuhill, James Smith, Williams, Sweat, Young, like we've talked about, all those dudes are gone, you know, are, are potential free agents next year. And so you want to give yourself, uh, you know, insurance. So early on, it's absolutely, how can they help us day one? Later than that, it's like, hey, let's let's make sure we don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Is Sam confident in the commander's sale or is the never say never idea still creeping into his mind when it comes to the process and the potential for anything to happen when it was when it's involving Washington football? That is next on today's episode of Locked On Commanders. <laughs> Sam Fortier on Twitter at Sam4TR, Commanders Beat Reporter for the Washington Post, joining us here on Locked On Commanders today. And Sam, one more question about the uh, the draft class, and then I'll move into kind of some of the other bigger news items happening around the Washington Commanders right now. KJ Henry is a guy who who impressed during rookie camp, so a lot of people are, are fairly excited about him. But you just kind of rattle off some of the names, and obviously Chase Young, Montez Sweat, presumably are going to be your top guys. I don't think there's any reason to, to go against that as of right now. But then you've also got some experience in James Smith, Williams, Casey Tua. Those guys did a, a pretty good job without chasing there for, for over a year, right? What is a real re, a realistic expectation, you think, for K.J. Henry as far as how involved he's really going to be once the regular season gets started? This is, to me, like a really intriguing question for for training camp battles because – you know, James Smith Williams and Casey Tuhill played really well, I think, you know, in, in their in their roles last year. And I think that having kind of those workmen like blue collar guys who know that they need to just be setting up pain and Allen and sweat like they, they did their jobs, um, which was mm-hmm. something you couldn't say about this line, you know, in the early part of 2021, especially. Um, but it, I mean, they haven't kept, I want to say, more than five edge rushers on the roster coming out of camp. Um, in the three years under Ron Rivera, they might've kept six one year, but like you now have six guys, you know, two stars, two really good guys that you've had the last few years and now two draft picks. That's six. I mean, can you keep six? And then, and then interior you have, you know, your last year, second round pick in Fenerian Mathis, you have your two studs, you have John Ridgway who played really well last year. And then you have some other guys, like, like some death pieces. I mean, how many defensive linemen are you really going to keep? And what does this roster look like? They have at the very, at the bare minimum. And you can say the same about the offensive line, though I think that the top end talent is obviously not as high, but like, how are you going to, you, you've created competition. And if you are, if the, the singular goal, David, the whole thing that I've been thinking about this offseason is the number one thing is how do you maximize the number of wins in 2023? That is the organizing mm-hmm. principle because you will need to audition for Josh Harris. Ron Rivera knows if I don't make the playoffs, if I don't maybe even win a playoff game, I'm not coming back. So what is the best way for me to do that? It's bringing in players where you feel confident about what they can do and that they can help you win more games in 2023. And so like them, they've, they've gotten the pieces together and them determining this is the, you know, this is the 53. This is the, you know, throughout the cut process, like determining that, I think that's going to be a fascinating decision. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's about 10 or 11 guys on the defensive line that just from a talent standpoint, you can say are slam dunk roster spots. But, you know, are you really going to dedicate that many active roster spots to, to those positions? That's going to be uh, probably the next toughest decision this team has to face. Uh, the next the, the other toughest decision facing a part of this team has already been made. Right. Dan Snyder, Tanya Snyder are on their way out. They're going to be selling this team one way or another at some point in time. A lot of us. We're looking at March, the league meetings in March for when that vote would hopefully happen and a new owner would be kind of welcomed in the league. But here we are, end of May. League meetings going on right now. It's still not being voted on. Is that part uh, a big deal to you or is the fact that this is just happening? And uh, again, there's been a statement from the Snyders talking about publicly 
getting this sale done? Is that the most important part to focus on? The rational part of my brain says it will get done. It'll drag on, like just stay calm. Like it'll get done, chill out, don't overreact. And like, and like the, the work part of my brain where it's like, you know, you're constantly like waiting for your phone to buzz and, and waiting to hear like, okay, like, is it official? That part of me is like, oh my God, this thing is never going to end. I'm going to like, <laughs> I'm going to like leave this earth just being like, is, is it going to happen? I don't know. I'm waiting. Like I heard they're talking, but there's also concerns. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, like it'll get done at some point. Uh, I think you'll probably look at a special session at some point during the summer where they, you know, go somewhere and, and, and vote it through. But like, man, does it, does it feel like it's taken a long time to get there? Yeah. I mean, look, there's some commanders fans that still don't buy it. There's some commanders fans that still say like, it's, it's not going to happen. And, and the Snyders will never sell and or sell. And I've said many times, it's, it's hard to blame anybody for, for being doubtful until this thing actually happens. Uh, but there's some other doubts surrounding the Washington commanders surrounding quarterback, Sam Howell. Uh, I honestly, Sam, I think that most people in the, in the media group have kind of just accepted that this is, this is likely what's going to be happening. I think most of the fan base, uh, you know, probably 65% of, are kind of excited to see what happens. The other is kind of like thinking that this team is crazy and there's no way Sam Howell can be uh, this leader. The national perspective seems to be that Ron Rivera is crazy and that a year as important as this one obviously is for him uh, to put his trust in a second-year quarterback, former fifth-round draft pick just from a year ago. Uh, do you, which, which camp are you, are you kind of in? Are you, are you excited and confident in, in Sam Howell? Or are you kind of on the fence or do you think that Ron Rivera is crazy here? I think that I'm probably somewhere in the middle, which is hopefully not like, you know, uh, being non-committal and like trying to have it both ways. But like, I totally I, like because I I think the thing is is like maybe I'm a little bit higher on Jacoby Brissett than most people, but like, I think that if Sam Howell is that dude, and and no one knows, I I don't care that they've seen him in practice, you know, all last year, they still don't know, like. Like I always go back to like what Jeffrey Lurie said at the 2022 owners meetings, which is like after that first year with Jalen Hurts where they they played really well and then like got absolutely destroyed in the playoffs. Like, like we see things that we like and we are hopeful he can be that guy. But but Jeffrey Lurie said, we do not know. And it is up to us to give ourselves, like to put ourselves in the best position to answer that question definitively. They did that last season and Jalen Hurts balled out. And obviously he had a very good supporting roster, but like, this year to me is sort of like that. And, and I'm not, hold on, let me not, I'm not comparing Jalen Hurts and Sam Howell. I'm just saying that the, the approach seems to be the same. Like yeah. you are you are saying we like this guy. We don't know if he's the guy, but we're going to do all we can to support him and like figure out like, can he be the guy? And if right. he's not, and we have to hit the eject button in week one or week 12 or whatever it is, like we really believe that Jacoby Brissett is a pretty high floor. And like, we think that he's going to come in, be a competent guy. He can run a diverse number of schemes. Like he, he can do a lot of different things. And like, uh, I just think the floor is high there. So I don't think it's crazy that you want to bet on the guy. Um, and I think it's pretty shrewd to say we need to have someone who, who's really high floor behind him. Yeah. I really, I, I really actually like that, that comparison between what the Eagles are doing with Jalen what the commander's doing with Sam because because I think he back on that and basically the Eagles put themselves in a position where if Jalen Hurts is the guy, then we're ahead of the power curve and we're going to be really good. If he's not the guy, then we've got a really good vehicle to put a new driver in next year or the year after. So I, I really like that comparison. I think that's smart. Of course, the, the bugaboo here is the guy building the car, Ron Rivera and his staff, Martin Mayhew and all those guys, they may not be in the pit crew uh, next year, depending on what happens. So this vehicle may completely change. 
Uh, you kind of touched upon it already, but in your mind, can Ron, first of all, can Ron Rivera save his job at this point with the new ownership group coming in? If he can, what do you think has to be done? Is there a floor in your mind? Or do you think that this is a situation where if Josh Harris and his group come in, uh, it's just kind of a wipe the slate clean and start over no matter what happens? I think we do not know. I, I do not know um, if Ron Rivera can save his job. and I. But, but I do think that it would be very, very hard for Josh Harris to sell to the fan base. If Ron Rivera makes the playoffs and he wins a playoff game, and they are competitive in in the, in the you know divisional round game. I think it would be very hard to tell the fan base the best thing for us to do right now is to fire Ron Rivera. Yeah. So, so like to me, that's the floor. If he makes the playoffs, but it's it's one of those we don't look great, but we eke in, you know, like and and you can tell that like maybe what they built is not super sustainable. I think that Josh Harris can say, okay, we need to start over. But I'm just thinking right now in terms of what you can sell. It's obvious that like, you know, if they look really impressive throughout the season and somehow don't make the playoffs because it's uber competitive, like is there a, a universe in which Josh Harris should keep him? Yes. Basically what I'm trying to say with outlining all these hypotheticals is like there are worlds in which he underachieves and stays, but I, but I, would, I, I really – it's very hard for me to see that happening. Whereas if he overachieves, I think it's very hard um, – for Josh Harris to fire him. Did I use enough words? Was that confusing enough for you, David? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm really happy that that's what you said, Sam, because I, I had this conversation again. I had another question like this one from, from a listener and I had this, this same conversation and I put way too much work into answering a hypothetical that I can't possibly know the answer to. And I came up with Sam, my floor being you have to earn a playoff spot. So you can't back in like you did a couple of years ago. You have to earn a playoff spot and you have to win a wild card round and be competitive in the divisional round loss if you lose. So the fact that that's essentially what you just said <laughs> makes me very, very happy. Um, and with that, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Uh, plus, we're out of time, so we're going to wrap up this episode. Sam Fortier, Commander's Beat Reporter for The Washington Post. Obviously, I mean, I think he's one of the smartest guys on the beat because he oh. just said something that I agree with greatly. <laughs> on Twitter, at Sam Fortier. Sam, I appreciate you uh, for coming on here. I'll see you tomorrow i mean this is airing wednesday but i'll also see you wednesday looking forward to that oh yeah man i'm, I'm looking forward to it as well huge thank you to sam 48 of the washington post for coming through today always fun to talk with sam so i hope you guys enjoyed it as well coming up tomorrow i will have my notes and observations from commanders ota practice and our conversation with some of the players and head coach ron rivera our first time as media getting a glimpse at the rookies with the veterans and maybe even chase young montez sweat and charles leno jr if they decide to participate if they don't well, then, you know, we're going to have some comments from Ron Rivera about it. In the meantime, if you have questions or comments, just throw them in the live chat, YouTube comments on Twitter, email me at lockdowncommanders at gmail.com or send them directly to me via subtext. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On Commanders your first listen of the day today and every day, every day. Thank you for coming through on a consistent basis like you do. I greatly appreciate all of you. And remember, you can continue this conversation with me over at joinsubtext.com slash Locked on Commanders. Thank you so much for making me part of your day, part of your routine. And if you have anything else Washington Commanders related that you want to know or discuss, make sure you're also following me on Twitter at dharrison82. Until we speak again, be safe, be kind, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Locked on Commanders, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.